Well, good husbands know that sometimes you don't tell your wife something because you don't want her to be upset by something that she can't really control. And I would say typically within our gender that there is the deep also pride issue of just bearing burdens and thinking that we don't need help. But this Thanksgiving holiday, my wife asked me what was wrong, and I thought that I was doing a very good job of appearing my regular self. I like reading all the time, and I was reading maybe a bit more than usual. But she could tell my expression, and I guess, I don't know, she's been married to me for a while. She could tell that something was wrong. And what was wrong was that I had to call uh, a police officer over Thanksgiving break to talk to the police officer about my dog, which had been reported um, as having all these problems that our dog doesn't have. Um, by neighbors who um, who have presented to me a message uh, that I will be preaching uh, today, and the Lord has has really um, overwhelmingly reminded me of of a few passages of Scripture that I have memorized, and when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you with conviction, and it's passages you have memorized. There's nowhere to run. Um, we, in marriage counseling, urge people to memorize 1 Corinthians 13. There's actually two couples here that we uh, urge to memorize, 1 Corinthians 13 and pre-marriage counseling. And the reason for that is pretty simple. It's because, as a married couple... There are times when the Holy Spirit will just bring to mind love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude, is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, he keeps no record of wrongs, and you'll go, oh, 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 okay, okay, Lord, okay, I hear you. The passage that I had memorized that I have thought of a good deal this week is from Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and we'll be looking at that, and then we'll be ending as well with Philippians 4, and probably not the part of Philippians 4 that you're thinking. So, uh, open your Bibles or your Bible apps to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, and as with any good understanding that chapter and verse divisions came later, when you ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore, it's in light of Romans chapter 11, what God has done for us, sending Jesus to die for us, rescuing us from this body of death, as it's described in Romans 7. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm going to summarize three through eight. It won't be our focus, but we have different gifts. We're called to examine ourselves, and then we're called to use our gifts, recognizing that our gifts are different. Verse nine, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, there is a little backstory to our adventures this week with our dog. We lived in a different neighborhood. We had almost an acre of fenced-in property. Our dog enjoyed that area and ruled that area as the queen of her domain. She is a half lab, half golden retriever. And she was, from the time she was a puppy, very eager to play with prey animals. She has a very high prey drive. Um, some uh, that's a lot of both lab and retriever uh, background in breeding and over time she demonstrated her prey drive by killing chipmunks um, birds in flight that were flying low enough for her to jump up and snatch them out of the air um, and a raccoon who she whose throat she tore out and because it was in her yard and um, she is a smart dog. She's a good dog. She's a dog that we love. Um, we moved to a new home, and there's four acres there. Um, so it appeared that there would be plenty of room for her to enjoy. Um, but it is not fenced. There's no real fence. Um, and it is an area where uh, wild turkeys and deer are abundant. And she, when she had just come back from the, um, she would just come back from where she'd been trained and was receiving training so that she would be, you know, better in obedience. And um, she did a lot better for us in many of her obedience commands. Uh, but when we were in places where we couldn't hear her, actually, she was barking. And I am completely certain that her barking did not um, look like the hyperbolic language that our neighbors were using. And in fact, I, I also know enough about dogs having bred German Shepherds at a much younger age and, and uh, 
having worked with dogs a lot, I know that part of what was happening is she was talking to the dogs in the neighborhood she didn't know, and they were also talking to her. Um, and in fact, the people who complained most vociferously about our dog have dogs that I've heard barking a good bit. But I've never called the police on them because I'm not insane. <laughs> our dog doesn't have, we don't have a great solution for our dog to live in our area and not sometimes bark because she's a dog. It is possible to put a collar on her that will shock her strongly every time she barks. That just seems a bit like torturing our dog, particularly when the reason she's barking is because she's a dog. Imagine being a human and being told as an extrovert, anytime you talk, we're going to shock you until you stop talking. Become mute. So we want our dog to have a good life. We want our dog to enjoy life. The rest of the backstory is, is too long and boring, really, for all of you. But the people most involved in this are people who have only ever been rude to us since we moved into our house and who are particularly upset with me because their laughably ridiculous scheme to create a $500 a day fine for homeowners they didn't like failed. I spoke out against that and said, I'm glad I don't live in New York City and I don't want the HOA to have a bunch of power. And I would have gone further into the HOA's abuse of power, builders who are violating our covenants, but voting that they can allow themselves because they're sitting on the Architectural Review Committee to violate our covenants, mm -hmm. et cetera. Church, this is getting a bit boring, but these are not nice neighbors. They're not kind neighbors. And the one who seems the most ridiculous told me before she sent me text messages cursing at me, uh, I work 80 hours a week. I teach Sunday school. I don't know what church she teaches Sunday school in. But I do know that it made it a lot harder for me in my heart to pray for her because she claims to be my sister in Christ. When someone who's on their way to hell lies, when someone who's on their way to hell acts horrible, Guys, I mean, there's got to be some level of expectation for that, isn't there? Lost people act lost. Not that hard to deal with. Not that hard to handle. People who claim to be Christians acting in ways that are pathological is maddening. It's infuriating. It's so frustrating. The verse again and again and again during this time that the Lord impressed upon me was chapter 12, verse 12, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Now, a helpful thing for me in all of those things, in terms of being patient in tribulation, is just a comparison game. And the comparison game works pretty well. And the reason is, so far I've never suffered tribulation where I can't pretty quickly in my mind go to someone who's going through something much worse. Okay, yeah, I, I might have to rehouse my dog. My kids are going to be really upset about that. It's really sad. Uh, I, I'm not hospitalized with COVID. I didn't just get a diagnosis of cancer. So as a Christian, I can still benefit from perspective, which is part of pulling back and saying, 
my problem's not as big as I think it is in comparison to other people's problems. But guys, every one of us has a problem in our life that feels big to us because it's our problem. It's the problem we've got. It takes very special friends. The reason the Bible tells us to examine ourselves to, is because the Holy Spirit can tell you without you talking to anybody else, hey, your problem's not as big as you feel that it is. Your feelings are lying to you right now. This is not the end of the world. Um, some of you have had girlfriends and boyfriends and breakups. Some of you still have never gone through that. Most of us, when you were 17, 18, dated someone who you thought was the love of your life, and then that relationship ended. And you felt like life was over. But life was not over. It wasn't even kind of over. So knowing that your feelings can be liars is really important as a Christian to tell yourself the truth. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Is this even tribulation? Am I going through something that's that hard? But our culture, deeply, deeply in Christian church culture, Satan's a judo expert, and he urges people to just rejoice, obey the command to rejoice, and never complain. Now, grumbling and complaining are not marks of strong Christian acts. But grumbling and complaining are different than sharing our burdens with others, than weeping with those who weep. And the message of rejoicing with those who rejoice is needed even for those who are weeping. Does everybody understand where I'm going with that? If you have a body life and you have 30 people, 40 people, somebody's having a great day in your friend group. It is sickness in our culture that we say, Happy Thanksgiving, unless, of course, you're too overwhelmed by the sadness of the plight of the indigenous and the historical inequities. And also, if you are deciding that you can only have a COVID-friendly Thanksgiving outside by yourself because you're, you and your spouse outside with masks on are not far away enough. But this happens, right? I'm so glad you guys are pregnant, and I'd like to be happy for you. Unfortunately, I have a past that means that when I see someone pregnant, it makes me sad because I'm jealous and I'm angry. So don't be too happy around me because I'm hurting. No, guys, that's not what rejoice with those who rejoice means. Part of rejoicing with those who rejoice is about the fact that we are supposed to be pulled towards their joy and happiness, even if our circumstances stink. It lifts you up to rejoice with others. We're supposed to do it. But you don't know about my day. I didn't tell you yet. No, nope. rejoice with those who rejoice. But guys, mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. What does that look like? In any group like this, there's also people who are having a really hard time. The command to rejoice does not mean that we never weep. Jesus wept. The command to rejoice is not based on circumstances. And rejoicing in hope 
is pointing us to eternal hope that has little or nothing to do with the current circumstances other than being this bright light overshadowing all the darkness at all times. We're going to be in heaven forever. Oh, my body's breaking down. Oh, praise the Lord that this is not our final body. Oh, well, my job is miserable. Praise the Lord that God gave you the ability to work. Oh, well, I just, I don't like my neighbors. We'll pray for them. Well, they're jerks. We'll pray more for them. Be constant in prayer. Over and over and over, when I'm out of whack, I'm not praying enough. I'm not praying enough. We have different retreats. It depends on the person. Video games, a retreat into television, a retreat into reading, escape and reading. But when we're feeling overwhelmed, we're supposed to run to God. We're supposed to run to Christ, and we're supposed to fill ourselves with hope through prayer. Let love be genuine has to do with the fact that as Christians, it's not about faking it. Again, Satan's a judo expert. So what we see are people who are fake. They're actually fake. How's things going? They're great. That's so weird. I've known you for 28 years, and you've only said they're great. Now, some people have been sanctified to the extent that they're really looking at the world and going, I got Jesus has given me hope. Life is great. Life is always great. I, isn't your, your pants on fire right now? Is that, <laughs> he's great. He's great. My legs only slightly burn. Okay? But for the most part, when people say, things are great, things are great, things are great, it's because they've been conditioned to lie, because they feel like it's wrong to share their burdens. They feel like it's wrong to let anybody know that things are going wrong. Let love be genuine, but the love that is genuine comes from God, and it's not something we have to fake. I don't feel love towards, the, okay, well then ask God to change you. But do you see that if we're faking it, we never change in our hearts? You can be outwardly doing great and inwardly falling apart. And that's not what body life is supposed to be with one another. The entirety of 14 through 21 is impossible for non-Christians. Impossible. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, verse 19 is so easy to get wrong. So easy to get wrong. I'm not taking revenge, but I'm just rejoicing in Jesus that he will smite my enemies and they will be tormented with everlasting fire. 
in my heart, I have completely forgiven them. I'm just really hoping that they go to hell soon. No, 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 no. What verse 19 points us to is this, guys. We all deserve hell. All of us deserve hell. Oh, but I'm not as bad as so. No, you deserve hell. Oh. Because we all deserve hell, all of us, when we leave things to the perfect justice of God, we desire that mercy be shown to our enemies because it was poured out on us. We deserve hell. And when we know that, fully know that, grasp that, feel that, then the genuine love for our enemies is possible. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now that means if you live Christian life correctly, you'll have no enemies. No, even that passage doesn't say that. You will have enemies who you're called to love. You will have enemies who you're called to serve well. You will have enemies and don't be overcome by their evil. So their evil just ends. They just say, I was so wrong. What do you have that I don't have? Honestly, no. That's not our experience. That's our prayer, but it's not our experience. What's the deal with the burning coals? Well, oftentimes, if you think of the worst person at your work, the worst person relationally, the most obnoxious person, and you're kind to them, even though they're just a wicked jerk, they don't respond by saying, thank you so much. They respond by being more obnoxious. They respond by being meaner. If possible, as far as it depends on you, you cannot live at peace with everyone. But you can obey Christ and live in a way that is peacemaking that is peaceable. So, as we obey the command to rejoice, the command to rejoice, that does not depend on our circumstances, we also are called to struggle together. And that's our other passage we're going to examine. Philippians 4. Philippians 4. Now, Philippians 4, again, if this is something you memorized in, in Bible camp, then you're immediately going... Whatsoever things are lovely, think on these things. Good. That's a good thing to know. It's important. And when your mind's super messed up, by the way, I mean, be anxious for nothing but everything with prayer and thanksgiving, be thankful. Be grateful. At this time of year, of course, be thankful. I mean, guys, talking to people about their feelings right now, almost everyone, literally almost everyone says, well, I mean, caveat, 2020, worst year ever, COVID, uh, uh, worst year ever. That's how many of you guys just had no food this year? Because there was just no food to find. You couldn't eat, and you just were hungry for days. How many of you had no clothes, so you just had to go naked because you were just beaten and all your clothes were taken? How many of you were imprisoned this year for being a Christian? How many of you were beaten because you're a Christian? Okay, so maybe we need a little better perspective on the worst year ever. Okay? Goodness, I have no idea what it will be like in America if we have a plague that kills 10% of people. Because I know that this, that is killing some people, and that is sad, and it is real, it's not a joke, it's not fake, but the, the number of people who are suffering right now, 
could well be and certainly globally is outweighed because of the way we've tried to corral this, the number of people who have suffered and died from the disease. COVID, worst year ever. It, no, this is not the worst year in human history. In historical terms, it's a year of tremendous abundance, tremendous flourishing. And most people overseas in global poverty have it significantly worse because of COVID response than we do in America. Philippians 4, and I'm going to start in chapter 10, for struggle together. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Philippians 4, verse 10. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. P.S., when this verse, the ice of Jesus, the excise of, of 13, when that's preached, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Why are we not reading 12? Because it goes against the prosperity gospel that, that flows out of 13 if you ignore everything else. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's why I drive a Bentley. No, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, including facing hard circumstances where I'm hungry, where I don't have enough. I still have what I need, thanks to God. Thanks be to God. Yet it was kind of you, verse 14, to share my trouble. Well, sharing your trouble, that doesn't seem very Christian. Sharing trouble. You should keep that to yourself, Paul. I thought you just said you're content. And you said whatsoever things are lovely. Trouble's not lovely. You've got to set your mind on things above, Paul. You're just going down the wrong path here. Guys... <laughs> Satan is a judo expert. Some people who are listening to this right now need to set their mind on things above, quit complaining, quit whining, rejoice in hope. And some people who are hearing this need to struggle together and quit faking it and share their trouble. Uh, uh, those seem contradictory. They're both here. They're both in this passage. And depending on where you are in your spiritual journey... You are called to obey the command to rejoice. And you are also called to struggle together. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Guys, part of sharing our need looks like this. There's a blessing in helping each other. And... If you have never truly experienced need, you can't know what an incredible blessing it is when the body of Christ provides for you. But if you've experienced true need and the body of Christ has provided for you, you'll never forget it. 
if the parachurch ministry that I run had $10 million in the bank, a check for 10 grand would be like, thank you, that's, that's nice. Interest rates are getting a little low. Wasn't sure we'd get the right return on those timber investments. Guys, the ministry that I run has never even had three months of our budget in the bank, ever. Nine years. And God has provided, sometimes miraculously, and in ways that made it clear that it was Him. A first-time check from someone in the summertime, which is the worst giving time ever, not when people are doing their taxes. Really big checks are really rich people doing their taxes and saying, this is how much I'm giving. Middle of summer is not when people are doing that. First-time gift of $60,000 with a $5,000 check that came separately when the need that next day that we had to have was $63,000. What? God provided that. And those are the things that I remember so well, so well, because they were needs that were shared and God provided miraculously. When we have needs, we are called to struggle together. I rejoice in the Lord that you have revived your concern for me. Hey, so-and-so needs a meal. Who is blessed when someone needs a meal and someone else in the church provides the meal? Who is blessed in that situation? Both people. That's the true answer. Both people are blessed. Our culture leads us away from sharing needs. And sadly, church culture, when misapplied, can lead us in the same direction. Don't share your needs. Everything's great. Oh, everything's great. Chemically enhanced. Everything's great. I can't feel anything. The last time I was sad was 2003. Thank you, drugs. It's okay for us to have hard times. It's okay for us to recognize troubles, and we are called to share those with others. Even, look at 15, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Guys, here's a paradox of church connectedness and trouble. When someone is very needy and no one is helping them, it's very dear to them when one person helps them. Is there a problem with that? Yeah, it doesn't look exactly like body life where we're all supposed to be serving each other. But it also can be exhausting, right? If you have a missionary in Guatemala, is it better for them to be supported by eight churches or one? It's better for them to be supported by eight in terms of having a lot of relational connection, in terms of a shared burden, a lighter burden overall. But if you are a missionary in Guatemala and you send an appeal to eight churches and only one responds. How deep is your level of gratitude? How deep is your level of thankfulness for that one church? When you share with needy people and you're the only one who's helping them, it can feel overwhelming to you, but, but 
Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. From Romans 12, if you are doing it in a fake way, love must be genuine, it will absolutely wear you out. It will take everything you have and more. But if you're doing it because God told you to, you have an inexhaustible supply of care, concern, and love for others. There is so much misunderstanding around being worn out in doing good works. If you are doing good works because you're a good person and you're just, mm, I don't want to push this rock up the hill anymore, but I'm told I have to, so uh, it will absolutely wear you down to nothing and destroy you. But if instead you're doing what God commanded you and you're doing it in response to his love, if the love of Christ compels you, it doesn't come from you. It's not a limited supply. It's an eternal and unending supply that allows you to be the hands and feet of Christ to those who are around you. So what is your takeaway for this week? It really depends on where you are. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Things are going great for you. Rejoice. Things are going badly for you. Be patient. How many of us should be constant in prayer? All of us. And recognize within your friendships, within your community, within the body, that we are called to struggle together. We are called to share our burdens. If the only time you see people, I mean, again, Satan's a judo expert. The fake person who everything is just great all the time. It's not doing well. But guys, if, you're the, if you think back and you're like, it seems like every, every day is a hard day for me. It seems like I complain every time I see people. You guys think that's a healthy picture, what it looks like? Christians are supposed to have hard times and not hard times. The Apostle Paul's writing as a person who's been locked up in prison for a long time, and he talks about rejoicing. Imprisoned? Yes. Being content when? In abundance and in need. So, for all of us, rejoice and struggle together. That seems kind of nuanced. It is. The Bible commands us to rejoice, but it also gives positive examples of sharing our needs so that we might all be blessed by providing for each other as a picture of God's grace in our lives. Let's pray. God, we desire to be pictures of your love, pictures of your grace, pictures of your mercy. We want to have an eternal perspective, but we also don't want to be fake. We want to rejoice. We want to be content. And we want to be honest. We want to share our needs and share our burdens. We want to rejoice together. 
We want to weep together. We pray that you will give us a deep and abiding love for one another that is supernatural, that doesn't come from our hard work. We want to be compelled by Christ's love. As we think of our enemies, we want to think of the parable of the ungrateful servant who demands what he is owed without realizing how hypocritical it is given all that he has been forgiven. We know that we deserve hell. And because of Jesus, we have been rescued. Because of his sacrifice, we've been redeemed. Help us to never lose sight of that. Help that to be the overwhelming thought when we think of vengeance and justice. We don't want our enemies to get what they deserve because we are so grateful that we did not get what we deserve. Help us as a body to be able to share burdens. Help us to receive the blessing of providing and the blessing of receiving when we're in need. Thank you that we have pictures of that in the book of Acts. Thank you that we have pictures of that throughout the New Testament. Help the church to live as you desire. Help us to be praying at all times, to be praying for each other. That connection that allows us to rejoice when someone gets a new job, that allows us to rejoice when someone is healed, that allows us to rejoice when someone can cast off and put to death a sin that's been tripping them up again and again. Help us to have deep love and concern for one another. Help us to be bold and honest in sharing our needs. And help us to give you all the glory and all the praise for the incredible provision that you provide, including the provision that you provide for us, through us, in the church. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to...